CSN International presents to every man an answer, the live apologetics program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a Bible question or a question on the Christian faith, you can call us at 1-888-827-5276. Again, that's 1-888-ASK-CSN. Let's get things started. Here's today's host, Mike Kessler. Hi, and welcome to Wednesday's edition of To Every Man and Answers. We come to you live right here from uh, from our studios to answer questions for you. You know, so many questions going on in the world today. We see the political realm, a, a total chaos. We see all the things going on globally. And you know, if you didn't know who Jesus Christ is, Man, I'll tell you, you would be so bewildered in what to believe. But you know, the Bible tells us about these days that we live in. And maybe you're overwhelmed. Maybe you're hurt. Maybe you're broken. Maybe you're ashamed of some things you've done. Well, I just want to tell you, Jesus is the one that loves you, who forgives and will give you direction for your life. If you've been reading your Bible, and I pray you have been, you come across questions, someone's asked you a question, hey, Give us a call. We'll do our very best to give you what the Bible really says. It's not just a piece of a verse or an idea or a thought, but really, what does the Bible say about that? That number to call again, 8888-ASK-CSN. Joining me today, special guest, featured CSN speaker that comes on after To Every Man and Answer, Jeff Wickwire from Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Hi and welcome. Hey, Mike. Good to be with you today. Looking forward to a great show. I know we're going to get a lot of questions. So much going on in the world. You know, if I was out there and I didn't know Christ, I was not a Christian, I would have all kinds of questions about Scripture, uh, the different faith claims of the various religions. I would be seeking because, you know, clearly something is really, really wrong. Our, our, um, our culture is just spiraling down into madness. And uh, moral madness, ethical, philosophical, theological madness, madness of every kind, particularly moral madness. And you look at it and you go, how can these things be happening? And what has happened to my country in like 30 to 40 years? In, in one, just a few short decades, um, it's, it's not the same country. So uh, as we say here on the show all the time, uh, Christ is the answer. The Bible has the answers. It explains everything. And if you have a question, philosophical, theological, moral, just something that's bothering you, give us a call. And uh, we're going to let the Bible do the talking for us. It's like C.H. Spurgeon said, Mike. He said, uh, the Bible is like a lion. All you got to do is let it out of the cage, and it will roar on, all on its own. So that's what we intend to do today. Just let the lion out of the cage. And let the Bible speak. Amen. Amen. Jesus said again, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus in that verse categorically said all the religions of the world are bogus. That's right, everyone. You'll talk to people today and they'll say, oh, Jesus was a great teacher. Really? Well, what did Jesus say? In John 14, 6, he said he was the only way to eternal life, the only way to the Father. So either Jesus, in fact, is God and great, or he's a liar. Now, every person has to make that understanding. 
So I think it's really important in these days that we live in to know your daddy. I think it's so important. Let's go ahead and go to the phones. We have Mike on the line, Spokane, Washington. Hi and welcome. Hello. Yeah, I uh, had a question in Second Timothy chapter two, uh, from yes. verse sixteen, in the context uh, down to nineteen, and it says, uh, "Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Ammonius and Philetus." who have wandered away from the truth. And I was wondering if this next uh, sentence was a reference to the rapture or not. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from their wickedness. Is, is that hey, your thoughts, Jeff? Well, Paul is addressing to young Timothy here, starting in verse 16. He's, when he says profane and idle, it just means empty chatter. And interestingly, he's letting us know that even, uh, well, of course, profane is a very unclean, defiling kind of talk. It's, it's, uh, where we get the word, of course, profanity. So profane would be unclean, immoral, you know, dirty jokes, uh, unclean um, conversation. So that's profane. The idle babblings just means empty chatter, just saying, talking constantly and saying nothing. And he's saying here, he's giving us uh, the knowledge that those kinds of conversation actually lead people astray. He says uh, their, their message is spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort. They've strayed concerning the truth. And uh, so these these guys were going around involving themselves in empty chatter, uh, vain conversation, meaningless talk, and also profane talk. And um, what they were beginning to teach is the resurrection had already taken place. And that, of course, is the second advent. So they were teaching that Jesus had already returned uh, yeah, that the rapture had already taken place, and there was no more hope for that. And we not got to keep in mind that the Bible calls the rapture, the return of Christ, uh, our precious hope, our great hope. It, it's uh, what we're to always have our faith expecting. We expect the Lord's return. And when you expect the Lord's return, then it keeps you living a clean life. It has a purifying effect. And so what these men's message was doing is it was causing people to say, well, hey, if he's already come and I didn't go, then maybe this whole thing is a great big joke and it opened the door for them to backslide, to walk away from Christ. You know, why why worry about things? He's not returning uh, or he's already done it and, and nothing happened with us. We're still here. So let's eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. And so... Paul is saying, no, no, no. It, verse 19, the solid foundation of God stands, saying, the Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So Paul is saying, no, they're wrong. They're, they're teaching false doctrine. And uh, that's the danger of false doctrine. That's why it matters so much 
that we understand our doctrine based on Scripture and not from false teachers, which Hymenaeus and Philetus had become. They were false teachers. Mike? Yeah, now here we have another problem. And um, Jeff, I want to ask you this. So you have Hymenaeus and and, uh, Philetus telling people that the rapture had already come. Okay, so and 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 Paul calls them false teachers. So what would you say then to people today that say the rapture came in seventy A.D. or there's no rapture at all? What would you say to them? Would these verses then indirectly apply to the false teachers if they in fact are? Would they? Would you consider them to be in the same boat? With these two false prophets that are mentioned here, being they are also changing that hope that we have that Paul says that we're to encourage one another with these words mm-hmm. concerning the rapture. Your thoughts? Yeah. So there will be two categories there. Uh, first, those who say the rapture and everything took place in 70 AD. There are those who teach this. They teach literally that all the prophecies of the Bible have been fulfilled. Their theological stance is called preterism, and they then are preterists, and preterists teach that when the destruction of Jerusalem took place in 70 AD, over a million Jews were slaughtered, the rest of them were scattered to the four corners of the earth, the temple was brought down to the ground like Jesus had predicted, Uh, the whole city was uh, uh, burned and brought down to ruins, and so they say that that was the return of Christ, that that judgment was literally the return of Christ as prophesied in Scripture, and he returned in judgment. That's preterism. Now, I would call that false teaching. There's no way you can square that with the rest of the Word of God, simply no way, because they teach, Mike, as you know, uh, that the book of Revelation has already been fulfilled, that Bible prophecy has been fulfilled. So we're reading a book of used to be simply a history book when you read Bible prophecy. Now, when it comes to people who teach that there's no rapture, but I do believe in the second coming, I would not call them false teachers. That's a different theological stance. That's a conclusion they claim to have come to in their study of Scripture, but it's neither heretical uh, nor false in the sense of uh, uh, a false teaching like, um, you know, Jesus wasn't really the Son of God, or uh, he was not conceived of a virgin, or he was created, or he was Lucifer's brother. You know, these are all false teachings about Christ and Christianity that the cults propagate. Now, that's false teaching. If you're teaching there's no rapture, but there is a second advent, I would just say that's a mistaken teaching. So I would make a distinction between the two. Because I, I know good people who, who uh, you know, are as saved as I am and as filled with the Spirit as I am, and they just don't believe that there's two separate events, the rapture and the second coming. Well, I can fellowship with them. I can go to church with them. I can worship with them. I just don't agree with them. But I can't fellowship with somebody who says, you know, Jesus wasn't the real son of God. Uh, he was not God's only begotten. He was just another prophet like all the rest. And, you know, Muhammad and Buddha and, and uh, Zoroaster and the rest. 
And there is where I say, you know what? I can't fellowship with you. So that's the difference, Mike. I hope that helps. Yeah, thank you very much. God bless you. Thanks so much for the call. Stay on the line, uh, Mike, and we'll send you out a couple of books, a couple of DVDs, the movie Jesus, and let's go to Peter. Sitka, Alaska. Hi and welcome. Hello. Um, my question is um, uh, 1 Kings 17, where the uh, ravens um, fed Elijah. Um, what did uh, the, the ravens bring? What kind of food? I mean, was it um, just carnage that they found, or was it, I don't know, I'm just... Okay, Jeff, what do you think? Well, it says the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. So that must mean that God doesn't believe in lunch. I don't know. But they he got two square meals a day brought supernaturally by the ravens. Now, people say, oh, come on, Jeff. That's, that's purely metaphorical. That didn't really happen. Oh, I fully believe it happened. Uh, if God... It needs to take care of you as his child. Uh, he will take care of you. He will find a way. He will do a miracle. He will provide when there's no provision around. And here's Elisha, uh, and actually it was Elijah, uh, by the brook Cherith. And uh, Elijah, uh, sat there for a year. So for a year, he had this divine room service. Amazing. I mean, it was just amazing. And uh, in the morning, here comes the raven. Here's your meat. Here's your bread. And then again in the evening. And the brook took care of his thirst needs. When the brook dried up, I think it's interesting to note, Mike, that he didn't stand in the middle of it and command it to start flowing again. He just said, what now, Lord? And the Lord took him to Zarephath and the widow that was in great need and about to die. And he used Elijah to save her life and the life of her son. And so the narrative goes goes from there. But it was bread and meat. A pretty cool room, room service. Amen. And you know something else? Ravens in the Bible were considered an unclean bird because they were scavengers. Uh, they would usually feed upon the carcasses of, of uh, animals that were slain by larger animals, uh, much like a vulture would. And so by nature them bringing Elijah food is against their nature. Now, this is what I think is amazing. The world is God's world. If Jesus wants to walk on the water, he walks on the water. If Jesus wants to change the nature, by nature, of animals, he can to accomplish his purpose. Whether it's shutting the mouths of the lions when Daniel was put in the lion's den, or whether the ravens who would have normally eaten the food themselves because they're very, very um, aggressive and very unsharing, if you will. And to do something against their nature shows that God is not only in control of, of this world in that their natures are controlled by God, but that God can even use that which is unclean to minister to us, to take care of us. I hope that helps, Peter. Amen. Um, what kind of food, though? I mean, it wasn't like old rotten food. It was actually oh, no, probably... no, no. They went through McDonald's window and just went up to the <laughs> window and picked up a couple of cheeseburgers. I, and... I don't know if God would give <laughs> McDonald's food to somebody. I'm no, sorry, I, I don't I either. A lot of prayer over. Yeah, you you'll pray if you pray over. You can eat any deadly thing and it won't harm you. But he was there. It, it you know, it's worth noting, Mike, that that Elijah was there in a time of intense persecution. He was 
he was Israel's most wanted. He had told Ahab, it's not going to rain till I say so. Of course, there he looked like the court jester until days turned into weeks, turned into months, and turned into a couple of years when not one drop of rain fell and everything began to die. He became the most hunted man in Israel, and Ahab wanted to get him and kill him. And so God was protecting him during a time of great persecution. It's worth us noting this because are we not seeing persecution arise in the West like we perhaps never thought we would? And in other parts of the world, persecution is raging. And so it's, it's, it's neat to just notice that here he is. God told him to go to that brook. He's all by himself. He has no one to converse with, but God or help him or help him. Or help him. And so by obedience, he goes to the brook and he's probably thinking, well, do I need to fashion a bow and an arrow and start hunting? And then suddenly here comes this raven for the very first time and drops food right at his feet. And he lived by faith that way for an entire year. So amazing, amazing Bible fact that uh, should encourage us because God takes care of his own. Even when you're being hunted and persecuted, he will provide for you. You mean you mean here you find a, a guy that loved God that was involved in politics and told Ahab what he was doing was evil, wicked, terrible, and nasty, and no rain would fall on his land until he said so. Well, these people you know, would say, "Where, where in the Bible yeah. does it say that that people who love God, Christians, should be involved in politics?" All I can say is, you've never read your Bible, because if you yeah. had read your Bible, you'd know it's almost involved in every single person in the Old Testament was involved in some way concerning the government and their tyranny. Almost every, yes. almost everyone. And it's, it's, again, you know, speaking of that, it's worth noting again, you go to the book of Acts and here's Paul, where did God lead him? He led him from one political leader to the next, to the next, till he finally, finally ended up addressing Caesar. He talked to Festus, he talked to he talked to local political leadership, regional political leadership, national political leadership, all the way up to the top dog. And what did he do? He proclaimed the gospel. And the Bible says that when he was talking to Festus, he was coming so down so hard on sin that Festus was beside himself and, and said the famous words. I think it was either Fe, or it was Agrippa, Agrippa. Uh, almost, Paul, you persuade me to be a Christian. Well, why did he feel that way? Because it said Paul had been reasoning with him about the conscience, right and wrong, sin, all of that. So the Holy Spirit, well, part of Paul's ultimate calling was to go to these political leaders and declare Christ to them. Uh, he didn't just remain among the common folks and going through little villages and towns. No, he went to the top of the government spectrum. Amen. So, Peter, I hope that answers it for you. We wanted to give you a good, complete answer on that. But uh, why he was out in the wilderness, and one last caveat. One day the ravens stopped bringing the food, and then Elijah realized it was time to move. And the brook see, dried up. The brook dried up, and when we find a change in our personal environment. Don't curse it. It's God's hand moving you 
into the next step. And God always, always continues to teach us through this life. Peter, stay online. We'll send you out books, DVDs, and the movie Jesus, okay? Thank you so much. God bless you, and thanks so much for the call. Let's go to Howard, Utah. Hi, welcome. Uh, hello, Pastors. How are you today? Good. How may we help? Good. Well, well, sir, um, uh, I was curious about a question about praying when we pray to the Father. I know uh, my Bible teaches me that uh, when Christ's disciples ask him, uh, teach us how to pray. You know, of course, he started our Lord's Prayer with our Father who art in heaven. But I've, And so I, I've prayed along those lines, 90% of uh, my prayer life. And But I find myself from time to time uh, uh, feeling the need to pray directly to the Holy Spirit when I'm th- uh, asking for wisdom or uh, to Jesus himself uh, when I when I feel uh, thankfulness for the sacrifice that he made for my soul. And uh, But I was just wondering that I was curious. I think that you know, we, we, of course, we pray to Christ today, but do you think that he was telling them the Lord's Prayer because he was still alive? And do you think that uh, maybe he would have said, hey, well, when you pray, you don't pray, hey, Jesus, it's me, and uh, then let, let, let your request be known. So I noticed that he, he directed us to, uh, to pray directly to our Father. And again, like I say, I find myself sometimes wanting to praise the Holy Spirit, ask him for wisdom ask him for insight and knowledge, et cetera. And uh, I just was wondering your guys' view on that. And I also want to say to both of you, what a blessing that you guys are. You know, years and years ago when I was seeking truth, I had picked up uh, Dr. Walter Martin's book, uh, Kingdom of the Cults. And that did more for me to to lead me in the right direction. And I just can't help but uh, seeing you guys in this ministry, and it just reminds me so much of the Bible Answer Man and I want to thank you guys for that, and I thank the Lord for you guys, uh, because it really is needed. There's so much confusion, and like you constantly point out, people taking one uh, verse of the Bible and building a whole doctrine on it, and uh, you've got to use the Bible to to, uh, read the Bible like you guys have always taught. But anyway, just wondering your your, uh, insights on, on those items there. Yeah, I, I knew Walter Martin. I uh, did radio show with him, and and uh, uh, very very good man. I loved uh, Walter Martin. Uh, I've had his daughter here on the program as well, and uh, so uh, yeah, those are those are some good memories. And and of course, the book Kingdom of the Cults, great book to have, just in general to refresh you when you talk to somebody outside of the Christian faith when they use the same terminology we use. Heaven, hell, Father, Holy Spirit, Jesus. When you look at these different cults, who Jesus is or who the Father is or what redemption is, we all use the same words, but with completely, completely different meanings. If you're talking to a Mormon, Jesus is the brother of Lucifer. When you talk to Jehovah's Witnesses, Jesus is Michael the Archangel. When you read the Bible, Jesus Christ is God. And so there's a big difference. Now, Paul warns, he said, be careful. In the last days, they're going to come preaching another Jesus. Oh, it has the name Jesus, but with a completely different definition. Your thoughts? Yeah, it's a great question. And that book is incredible. The Kingdom of the Cults is great. I've got it in my library. Uh, boy, these days is more relevant than when he wrote it. Right, yeah. um, I mean, really. But... Uh, it's a great question, uh, Howard. And um, you mentioned how the false teachers often will take one verse, lift it out of context, create a whole doctrine around it, and 
that's how you get false teaching because often uh, heresy is truth taken to an extreme. You're taking it way further than the balance of the text would make it or take it. Uh, example in Mark, uh, Mark, uh, 11, where he talks about, uh, whatever you ask in my name, you can have it. Whatever you ask in my name, you can have it. Go for it. Anything you want, ask in my name and you will have it. And that's what Christ said, Mark 11, 23 and 24. Um, now people have lifted that out and they've created a whole doctrine around it that whatever you want, you, you can have it if you just ask in his name. But what that verse cries out for is context. We like to say a text without a context is a pretext, meaning uh, the only way to interpret the Bible is in its full context. You ought to, one, one guy brought a teaching once that I heard, you need to read the Bible with, with a 2020, uh, 2020 view. What does that mean? 20 verses before your verse and 20 verses after your verse. Well, that's one way to look at it. But if you take that verse out of its context, it just sounds like carte blanche. I can get whatever I want. But there are what we call qualifying verses. And that's where so often we miss it. Qualifying verses. So let's take that verse. Whatever you want in Jesus' name, you can have it if you ask for it in his name. But what does John tell us in First John? that if you ask according to his will, you will have it. So there John has qualified the verse, and he's helped us to understand the full scope of the teaching. Now, when it comes to praying to the Father, praying to Christ, praying to the Holy Spirit, um, yes, the disciples said to Jesus, teach us to pray. And Jesus gave the Lord's Prayer, which I pray virtually every day. Um, he said, Pray this way, our Father. So Jesus led us to go right to the Father. But then later in John's Gospel, for instance, he tells us to go to the Father in his name. He doesn't say that in the Lord's Prayer, but he qualifies it in John, uh, say it, go to the Father in my name. But then we also see in the Bible where Jesus was prayed directly to people that wanted to be healed. What what can I do for you, Jesus would say. I, I'm asking you to heal me. And Jesus answered their prayer. So there's nothing wrong with praying in Jesus' name. Now, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where somebody prayed to the Holy Spirit, but i got to be honest with you, there are many times I say, Holy Spirit, give me wisdom in this situation. Holy Spirit, give me wisdom. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And we'll come right back to you, Howard, after the break. Mike? Yeah, in fact, in Revelation 22, even John says, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Pray directly Lord to Jesus. you. Yeah. Coming up on that break, we'll have more coming up right after this. Hey, this is Brant along with Sherry here. And so you hear me doing these spots for MediShare, and Sherry actually helps me with them. I get people actually in person saying, okay, Brant, for real, do you recommend this? Like, yeah, uh, for real, I actually do. I'm not just saying stuff, so... Family, friends ask me about it. I'm like, yes, you should look into this. It's really a great option for a lot of people. That's what I tell people. My experience has been MediShare has been fantastic for me. Yeah. It's so different from health insurance in a lot of great ways, honestly. Yeah, and see, a lot of people who have switched tell me that. It's the same reaction. They're very, very happy with it, and it gives them peace of mind and saves them a lot of money. I would tell people, look into it. Yep. Uh, so really, for reals, uh, if you want to talk to them, they're great to talk to. I think you'll be... 
impressed and happy you looked into it. So um, you do the phone number. I'm actually tired of doing all the phone numbers. <laughs> okay. Call now. 855-91-BIBLE. That's 855-91-BIBLE. 855-91-BIBLE. Nice job. Thanks. This is Dan Steiner, president of Preborn Ministries. 2022 is the best year ever for saving preborn babies in America. Your support of Preborn in 2022 allowed us together to reach over 111,000 women in our network clinics across the country. And over 53,000 of these women chose life for their babies through ultrasound. That's 53,000 babies saved last year. Even better, over 10,000 of these women prayed to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord. And in the process, Preborn has trained over 1,600 evangelists volunteers in our network clinics in America's top abortion cities. What you and Preborn have done together is populating earth and heaven with babies who have lost their lives and women who now have eternal life. This is my personal thank you and my promise that together you and Preborn will save even more lives and souls in 2023. God bless you. To learn more about the life-saving work of Preborn, call 855-668-BABY. That's 855-668-BABY. Or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. All gifts are tax deductible. And we want to welcome you back to part two of Every Man and Answer here on this Wednesday afternoon with Jeff Wickwire. I'm your host, Mike Kessler. Went to the break, we were speaking with Howard about how to pray. And you know, Jeff, you're right. We don't find anybody anywhere in the Bible praying to the Holy Spirit. I don't think necessarily it's wrong, but I believe Jesus taught us the best way to pray. Now, when I'm scooting down on the road in Idaho on an icy mm-hmm. highway backwards, yeah. uh, I just go, Jesus, help. I, I, I don't mm-hmm. get into a lot of the formalities simply because I'm his child and he's my dad. And God the Father knows exactly what we need, what we say, even before we ask, the Bible says. So I look at that and I go, you know, God, it's it's really wonderful that we don't have a relationship with religion through a denomination, but rather we have a direct relationship with you, one mediator between God and man, and that's Christ Jesus. Hope that answers it for you, Howard. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It, it certainly does. It, it confirms uh, some of my feelings, and I really appreciate you guys taking the time to uh, uh, answer me today. And uh, also wanted to make a quick comment. Yesterday, there was a young man who called, and uh, he was he was discouraged because he felt he didn't know if he was saved or not, and was going through, um, you know, the issues we all face with our with our with our sins, yeah. uh, whatever mm-hmm. they are. And uh, you know, it's just like the enemy to 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 beat you down like that when you when 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 you slip and. Uh, I just felt you guys did a good job encouraging that young man, and I I hope he can find that 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 faith. You know that that uh, that we have what that no matter what happens, we know where we're going when it's done, and uh, that we get up, dust ourselves off, and we keep going. And so uh, I want to thank you both so much. You, uh, you did help me quite a bit, and it isn't often I I don't feel led to hey dear Holy Spirit, but sometimes when I'm asking for wisdom for whatever reason in my spirit the vision of the Holy Spirit comes to me. And so, uh, and I also ask his forgiveness for uh, when I offend him, you know, I don't want to offend the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I I know the Bible says don't do that. So I explicitly just want to make sure that the Holy Spirit realizes my position. But like you said, God, God knows me inside and out better than I do. When I pray to God, the father, 
it's the same as Christ and the Holy Spirit. They all know each other. What he, you know, it's all one. So anyway, uh, yes, sir. Thank you for your answers today. Really appreciate it. Keep up the good work, you guys. You're you're helping so many people, man. I just can't can't thank you enough. So God bless you both. Godspeed, and may He continue to strengthen you in your ministry. Well, Howard, you stay online. Send yeah, some books, some DVDs, movie Jesus. I think you can use them for evangelism down there, and I think you'll enjoy it. Let's go to Karina. Reno, Nevada. Hi, welcome. Hello. That's Hi, how may we help? How may we help? Okay. Um, my mom and I listened to this pastor on the radio, and he was quoting Genesis 1, um, verses 1 and 2. Now, he was stating that between verses 1 and 2, there is a time lapse. Uh, he's stating that the earth was previously created but was destroyed, and the occupants of the earth at that time were angels. And when, the, and when Lucifer came and made war in heaven, and after the angels fell, then when the, was the earth destroyed and rebuilt, but he quotes different mm-hmm. uh, verses of the Bible, like he quotes Psalm 104, uh, I think it's Ezekiel 14, I believe, where it talks about, you know, Lucifer and uh, the King of Tyre. But, um, see, I believe that the earth was created in seven physical days, so I don't know. But I'm trying to explain it to my mom, and it's hard because he believes in what he's preaching very strongly. And I, I just wanted to ask for help because I don't know what else to say to her. Well, Karina, he's very severely wrong. And we don't find that in the Scripture. Eve's name, Adam's wife, means the mother of all living. The Bible also says that sin entered the world not through the devil, but through man. The idea of the gap theory is fantasy land. And all the details that you just gave, nowhere are in the Bible. It's all made up. So if we're going to start making stuff up, why don't, why don't we put, um, uh, you know, a Disneyland on every corner during this first creation between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2? Everybody had a utopian world. See, it's all made up. There's There's no support for that. But the Bible does support a six-day creation. In fact, the Bible says in the Torah, the, the, the most sacred of the Jewish scriptures, the first, the first five books of the Bible, in the book of Exodus chapter 20, the Bible says that God made the earth in six days and on the seventh he rested. It does not say that there was a gap. There does not say that there was anything else like that. This is all made up. And I believe it's extremely dangerous when people come along and they begin to manufacture their ideas and try to turn it into Scripture. We know that the Bible, when God made this earth, it was good. It was very good, over and over stated in the creation story. We know that Adam and Eve were placed in the garden, told not to eat of one tree. Now, there's a lot of trees that animals can eat of that I can't. There's a lot of things that animals eat that I don't want to eat. 
That doesn't mean God's a bad God because he put a tree and told Adam and Eve not to eat of it. But something happened, and many people believe that when God created man, he created him a little lower than the angels. The Bible says that. But then the Bible says those that love him, he will elevate above the angels. First Corinthians chapter 6 says, do you not know that someday you'll judge angels? But then the Bible says this new creation, these human beings, will be the bride of Christ. That very may be what caused Satan to revolt, because whatever it was, a third of the host of heaven revolted with him. The Bible says a third of the stars. And so it may very well be this pride that we read about in Isaiah 14 was caused that there was going to be a creation eventually greater than him, greater than the angels. Whatever it was, a third of the host of heaven is a pretty big number. But the Bible says God created a good world, and there wasn't anything wrong with it. So I believe the fall of Satan was after God created Adam and Eve, because the Bible again says everything was very good. It was all very good, except for the devil was there. No, it doesn't say that. Satan comes along after the fact, and may very well be at this fall from heaven Lucifer was at, is when then he went after man because this creation, human beings, were going to be above the angelics. Your thoughts? Yeah, people that teach that, as you mentioned, Mike, it's called a gap theory. And they're trying to account for uh, what evolutionists teach is the age of the earth. More times than not, that's what they're doing. And uh, it just doesn't work out. The text won't allow it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. <clears throat> All right, right off the bat, there you have it, Genesis 1.1. Now, they teach that between that verse and the next one, the earth was without form and void, says verse 2, and the darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, they teach between verse 1 and verse 2, uh, there was this humongous gap of time. And that is when the dinosaurs roamed, and it, it's it's all also called a pre-Adamic creation. There was this pre-Adam, before Adam, creation of creatures, and that when Satan fell, the whole thing was destroyed. And that's why you find the earth in verse 2 without form and void. But that's simply telling us what God first created. He created the mass, and it was without form and void, and then he began creating, or further creating from there. It's not telling us that this earth without form and void was there for millions of years, and now God is stepping back into the creative process and essentially starting over again and redoing or renovating what was already there. But no, it's telling us that God created in the beginning. So there was a beginning. There was a beginning of everything. Evolution has never accounted for that. They have never accounted for that. They can't account for that. Um, they can't account for the beginning of life. Um, no way. So evolution, all evolution has ever tried to explain is how the different species came to be. But evolution cannot explain the beginning of all things and um, the beginning of life. So here you just have God 
starting with an earth without form and void, then he continued, uh, let there be light. And that was the first thing that God created after the earth was created without form and void. Uh, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And so there you go. And uh, people say, well, how could there be light? Because there were no stars. There was no sun. Well, God is light. God doesn't need a sun or stars or a moon to give light. God is light. And we're told in the book of Revelation that uh, in heaven, there there won't be any sun. There won't be any uh, uh, celestial objects to give light because it says Jesus, the lamb, will be the light of heaven. What a glorious thing that'll be. So uh, this whole gap theory thing is really a way to try to fit biblical teaching with evolution, and it, and it falls apart. It doesn't work. So uh, whoever that was, Karina, I don't know, but they're very mistaken. I, I've never found Bible verses that support that view, and I think because they, they simply aren't there unless you're misinterpreting and misteaching the text. Yeah, because, you know, and it's interesting, the in-depthness that they go with no scriptural backing. You know, oh, they were all down here, and they were doing this, and they were doing that. I mean, come on. This is just made-up stuff, and we have to be very careful of it. Karina, I hope that answers it. Now, there's a couple other things that go along with this. Number number two is, well, a day is a thousand years, and a, a thousand years is a day. And so the creation period took 7,000 years. Well, we got some real problems there because uh, actually the photosynthesis that evidently was needed for the plants was the very next day because he created the plants before the sun. So it wouldn't work. I believe, again, as it says in the Torah, as it says in Genesis chapter 20, he created the earth in six days and on the seventh he rested. It doesn't speak of 7,000 years or a day is 1,000 years or whatever. Trying to reconcile and add in the evolutionary phony process. Again, that is completely made up. The book of Proverbs says the eye and the ear, God made both of them. These are two anomalies which the evolutionists really can't answer. How do you have an eye form with an eyelid with tear ducts at the same time the receptors in the brain would understand at the same time an optic nerve has to form connecting it all together with nerve endings to tell the eye to blink, to stay moist? No, the eye and the ear God made them. They didn't, they didn't evolve. And these are, are just some of the attempts. One more that goes along with this. We have Lilith. Now, some people say, well, Adam had several wives. There was Eve and Lilith. Again, made up, phony baloney, and we just have to be very careful. This is why Jesus said we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Karina, yeah. I hope that answers it for you. Right before we go to the next, next question, uh, the uh, director is telling me we got some lines open. So give us a call, folks. 8888-ASK-CSN. That's 8888-ASK-CSN. If you call right now, you will get in. Mike? Yeah. Okay, let's go. Karina, stay in line. We'll give, get you a couple books, a couple of DVDs, the movie Jesus. Thanks so much for the call. Let's go to Cece in Beaumont, California. Hello. Hi, how may we help? I was trying to take you off the speaker. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, 
Thank you. I Thank you for a, waiting. Oh, that's okay. Uh, I had I had a couple of questions, but he said I might just save it for one. So my first one, if you don't, are you there? We're here. Hello. Okay. We're here. Um, I, I I'm a uh, my health is deteriorating, and the doctor doesn't want me alone. I don't have much choice. I have uh, my children are they know the Lord, but they're grown and they're straight from God. I don't think they. Well, I know they're not serving the Lord, but I don't. I'm wondering if I should even ask them if they could help me, but I don't think I could go into their, their home because of what they're doing. So I just kind of wanted to know if, uh, what you guys, your thoughts on that? Well, you know, if I was failing, I had ungodly <laughs> children. And my inheritance would help them continue their ungodliness. I would not give that to them. Um, very traditionally in the Hebrew culture, uh, when a person was getting sick, getting old, they would impart to their children a small part of their, their inheritance. I believe this is what happened with the prodigal son, the older son. Hey, give me my, my part of the inheritance. He gave him a part of it because we remember that the son, when he came to a sentence, came home to his father's house and to his brother. If it would have been sold at the auction block here, you get 50%, Joe, you get 50% prodigal son, and uh, dad, you know, you can kind of hang around um, the house with me. No, that isn't what happened. They would give a small percentage and see what their children did with it. Wow, I just got $10,000 from mom and pops, man. Man, we can go buy a lot of bags of dope now. You may be destroying your children with your inheritance. That which took you your whole life to acquire, they'll blow through it in a couple of months. What a terrible tragedy that is. So I believe you have to use wisdom, and I would much rather see somebody that had something to give, give it to a ministry that's going to further the kingdom of heaven, and also tell their children, you're on the wrong path, and I would have given this to you but you do not honor God with your life, with your money, with your resources. And so therefore I can't support and help you destroy yourself by giving you this inheritance. Your thoughts, Jeff? Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, enabling people in their sin is a tough one. So often I see children know how to yank the strings of their parents' heart. Uh, how to play the guilt trip, how to uh, just extract just money and things and stuff and all the while just kind of playing a violin and I need this, I need that. But these days I've been dealing with some folks in my own ministry uh, where there is, for instance, a drug issue and the children are going to them over and over uh, for money that they know very well are they're going and spending it on drugs? One in particular, um, they lost their child to fentanyl because they kept give them, giving them money and enabling them. And as they gave them that money and enabled them, they finally were able to buy enough of, of the drugs and use them long enough that it took their life. So it takes a lot of wisdom. It takes a lot of discernment and it takes some grit. It takes some, um, genuine love, not, uh, you know, soft love, but uh, what we like to call tough love. 
But if you know that they're going to go and misuse it, you simply don't give it to them because it may very well, as this recent situation I've dealt with, it may very well ruin them, destroy them, even take their life. So, Mike? Hope that helps. No, it doesn't at all. wasn't my question, sir. Oh, well, I'm sorry. What was your question then? Everything you guys said is true, and I'm not going to leave my pearls to swines. That, that my inheritance is going to a charity. My question was, they're not on drugs or anything. They're just one's just uh, living with a man, and the other is just uh, homosexual. And I don't feel like mm. I would feel comfortable <clears throat> asking them, "Can I come into their home?" And I just want to know if that's, you know, is it just me thinking that, or? You know, I don't want to go into a home with sin, and, and that's why we're not, uh, you know, close, because they know who I stand for and who I am. See, see, I get it. I Yes, and I agree with you, and I would not want to do that either. And I would use my resources to keep me from having to do that. I wouldn't want to be subjected in a home, in a lifestyle that's completely contrary to what the Book of Romans chapter 1 says. I would not want to be in, in an environment that is ungodly. And it's very hard when it's your children. But one thing, you know, we can do is we can pray that the Lord will will soften their heart and change them, and they will understand their need for Christ. Because I can hear in your voice the the the, the love that you have for them. And as any parent that sees their children on the wrong road, it breaks their heart. And and so, but no, to subject yourself in those kind of things, I, I think is always a very difficult situation, Jeff. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to do it either, Cece. And I, I apologize for misunderstanding uh, your question. Uh, but nevertheless, what I said before this um, is still good. I just misunderstood the question. And your question is one that, as a pastor, I've dealt with with some of our church folks. Um, for instance, uh, I was asked just a while back, um, one of our church members had a child that's marrying a same-sex person, and they are invited to the wedding. And should they go? See, the the current immorality and moral confusion of our culture is causing all kinds of uh, situations and decisions we're having to make that we didn't have to deal with 40 years ago. And so they wanted to know, do I go to the wedding or do I not? How do I do this? Now, if I were you and I was looking at having to move in to a situation where every single day I was going to be faced with grievous sin, something that would vex my spirit. You know, I was thinking of Lot. Peter tells us that Lot's soul was vexed every single day by the filthy conversation and lifestyle of the men of Sodom. And, you know... More and more as time goes on, I understand that verse because we can't even read the headlines these days without more moral madness, and it vexes our soul. So if you moved into a situation like that, as a believer, you're going to find yourself with your soul vexed every day. And that's not a situation I would want to live in. So I would believe God. I would ask God to give me an option where I'm not going to have to deal with that. Give me an out. Open a door, Lord. Give me an exit door. Give me something that I can do as an alternative 
so I'm not faced with this. And that that's what I would do, Cece, and I believe that God would hear that prayer. Amen. Amen. Cece, can we pray for you? And what I felt like. I'm, I'm good now. Okay. Well, Father, we just ask you that you'd give Cece wisdom in dealing in this situation. Lord, we pray for the salvation for her children. They would come back to you and honor you with their whole lives. And we pressed you for a miracle here in Jesus' name. Amen. CC, stay online if you like. Send you out some books, DVDs, perhaps something you can give your kids that will help them in their relationship with God. Stay online. We'll get you taken care of. Let's go to Jay in Missouri. Hi and welcome. <laughs> Hello, Jay. Jay, are yes. you there? It's, yes, I'm here. Sorry about that. My question is, I believe my son is attending an apostolic church and I believe the other day you referred to those sometimes can be cults. Um, but this is the most active he's been in pursuing and following Jesus. And I just want to know how to advise him. Well, not all apostolic churches are, are uh, into the Jesus-only doctrine. Um, and that was probably the most important part, because, again, uh, in the epistles of John, first John 2.22, he that denied the Father and the Son hath the spirit of Antichrist. So anybody that stands up and says there's no heavenly Father, uh, it's modalism, uh, it, you know, there's no heavenly Father, there's no uh, Holy Spirit, it's just Jesus only. Oh, this freakish three-headed God thing they always make fun of. Well, that happens to be how God describes himself in the very first chapter of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word there is Elohim, which speaks of the plurality of God or the per, per, the uh, the uh, that that it's not just singular is is the point. Your thoughts, Jeff? Yeah, and the question these days is, what you mean by apostolic church? Uh, because some apostolic churches are really pushing a false doctrine that. Uh, for centuries, the church was missing uh, the apostolic office, and um, now it's being resurrected. And so God is raising up a whole host of uh, apostles all over the world uh, with this authority to be over other local churches and that are to oversee other local churches and almost in line with having the same apostolic authority as the original 12. And if he's in that, I would say he's in a little bit of trouble. But if it's, uh, there's other kinds of apostolic churches that have nothing to do with that. So I would have to know, um, what kind of church he's actually in, uh, like the name of it. And if you, I, if I knew the name of it, I could answer that. Well, it's so, called the Ark here where I'm from and we're a small town. But the thing that confused me is during prayer time, there's a lot of noise and people talking in tongues and, Mm. Yeah. Well, we're out of time, Jay. And and by the way, Tim, Danny, John, and, and all, please call us. We'll put you on first thing tomorrow. And uh, we'll do a little research on that for you, Jeff, if you can do that. My answer to her yeah. on Friday. To find out God bless everyone. Ministry, Have a good night. To receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. 
Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash T-E-M-A. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 